Amen. Well, if you please take your Bibles and turn with me at this time. We are in the book of Isaiah this morning. Isaiah chapter 7 and uh, verse 14. Today is the third message in our Advent series on the four great prophecies of Christmas. And uh, so far in this series, we've looked at the prophecy of a great battle. And then last week, we looked at the prophecy of a great star. Today, we come to the prophecy of a great sign. And then next week, we'll look at the prophecy of a great king. Uh, But today, we're looking at the prophecy of a great sign. And this prophecy is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. And uh, if you'll please stand with me at this time for the reading of God's word. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we look at this amazing prophecy given so many years ago and yet fulfilled in the birth of Jesus our Lord, I pray, God, that we would see uh, just how amazing you are that you are the God of history, Lord, that you know the end from the beginning, that you not only foresee the future and foretell it, but by the power of your own hand, you make these things come to pass. And so, Lord, as we look at this amazing prophecy, this amazing sign, I pray that we would bow our knees and worship you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Some of you may remember the talk show host, Larry King. And uh, Larry King uh, had a very popular talk show for many years. He was once asked who he would most want to interview if he could choose anyone from all of history. If you could interview anyone, not just living, anyone from out of all of history, who would you most want to interview? And he answered, Jesus Christ. And so then they asked him, they said, well, what would you ask him? I mean, you've picked the one person out of all of history you'd most want to interview. What's the one question you would ask him? What's your big question? And Larry King replied, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. Because the answer to that question would define history for me. Isn't that marvelous? You know, today we come to our third great prophecy of Christmas. It's the prophecy of a great sign. The virgin will be with child and she will give birth to a son. And yes, the answer uh, to the question of the virgin birth, yes, that really does define history for all of us, doesn't it? If Jesus was born of a virgin, folks, that changes everything. It changes everything. You know, the prophet Isaiah gave this prophecy 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And similar to what we did last week, uh, this week we're first going to look at the background of the prophecy. We want to see the context that Isaiah gave this prophecy in. We'll look at the background. Uh, Then we're going to look at uh, the content of the prophecy. And then finally we'll look at the fulfillment of the prophecy and the birth of Jesus. 
There is an outline in your worship guide if you'd like to take that out to follow along. And if uh, you're following along at home, there's a little click on the online uh, uh, worship guide that you get on Sunday mornings. You can click for the outline as well. But we begin with the background of the prophecy. Now, for the background of this particular prophecy, we need to look at two events, okay? Two different events separated in time. The first event is the prophecy of the seed of the woman. The second event is the attack on Judah during the time of King Ahaz. And you say, well, I don't know much about either of those. Well, we're going to take a look at that right now, okay? So we begin with the prophecy of the seed of the woman. Now, we've already looked at this a couple weeks ago, right? This was the first great prophecy of Christmas, Uh, the prophecy of a great battle between Satan and God, between Satan and Christ. We saw God told Satan in Genesis 3.15, said, Satan, I will put enmity or hatred or hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And when we studied this prophecy just a few weeks ago, we looked at the battle aspect of this prophecy, right? The great battle that continued throughout all of history, first of all, between Satan and God, and then Satan and God's people, and eventually Satan and Christ, and and how that battle culminated in Jesus Christ coming to earth and crushing the head of Satan at the cross. But now we can go back and look at the same prophecy, and we can see another aspect of it that we may have uh, overlooked, that we may have missed before. Because I want you to notice that this prophecy emphasizes that the Messiah would be born of the seed of the woman rather than the seed of the man. The Messiah would be born of the seed of the woman rather than the seed of the man. This is significant because the line of descent in those days was was always traced through the man. It was always traced through the man, not the woman. Have you ever wondered why God didn't tell Satan this? And I will put enmity between you and the man, and between your offspring and his. Why do you say between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers? And the answer is because when Messiah came, he would not be born from the seed of the man, but from the seed of the woman. And so we can, we can see now that there was an early hint of the virgin birth tucked away in this first great prophecy of Christmas all along. And then this emphasis on the seed of the woman rather than the man, that continues when you get to the New Testament and with the New Testament references to the birth of Jesus. For example, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew begins with a long genealogy of Jesus Christ, and in that he, he lists the, this person was the father of this person, was the father of that person, was the father of this person, this long list of fathers, but then he concludes it by writing this, he comes along and he goes, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, and so what do you expect? You expect, and Joseph was the father of Jesus, but you don't get that, do you? Matthew 1.16 says, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And so you notice, yes, Joseph is included in the genealogy, but not as the father of Jesus, but rather as the husband of Mary. Because Joseph was the adopted father of Jesus, but Jesus was born of Mary, from the seed of the woman, not of the man. And then you find the same thing when you jump over to the Gospel of Luke and you look at Luke's genealogy of Jesus. 
And we read in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, Jesus was the son, so it was thought of Joseph. Not the son of Joseph. Jesus was the son, so it was thought of Joseph. And once again, Joseph is excluded as the physical father of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was born of the seed of the woman, not of the man. And then you jump ahead to the, the, the letters in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. We read this, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. Notice how Paul emphasizes in this verse that Jesus was born of a woman. And you wonder, well, why would he do that? Aren't we all born of a woman, right? There's nothing really uh, unusual about that. Except Jesus was born of a woman only. It's the only reason Paul would emphasize it this way. This was truly a unique aspect of Christ's birth. So that's our first part, the first part of the background of this prophecy. Remember we said it's based, the background uh, goes back to two events. Here's the first event, that earlier prophecy of the seed of the woman, not the seed of the man, the seed of the woman, which God gave all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Now the second event uh, is, is more current, current to the time of Isaiah. The more immediate background of this prophecy is found in the attack on Judah during the time of King Ahaz. Now, Judah had a bunch of good kings, they had a bunch of bad kings, okay? King Ahaz, whoop, bad king, okay? Not one of the good kings. Uh, king Ahaz reigned over Judah for about 20 years, uh, from about 735 B.C., to 715 B.C., 700 years or so before the birth of Christ. And during this time, the kings of Aram, two other kings, the kings of Aram and Ephraim, they joined forces together against Judah, and they attacked the city of Jerusalem. We read this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. And so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. I want you to notice how King Ahaz and the people of Judah, how they're addressed here. They're addressed as the house of David. And that's significant. This was a reminder to them that Ahaz stood in the line of the Messiah. He was a descendant of David, the line of the Messiah, the seed of the woman who was yet to come. And so when God sends the prophet Isaiah to King Ahaz, he does it to assure Ahaz. He says, hey, this attack against Judah will fail, okay? The line of Judah leading to Messiah will continue. Isaiah tells Ahaz in verses 5 through 7, he says, Aram and Ephraim, yeah, they've plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says, it will not take place. It will not happen. And you know what? It did not take place. It did not happen. In fact, you know, the line of Judah not only continued when you get to the New Testament, you go back to that genealogy in Matthew we spoke about, and you get to Matthew 1.9, who do you find there? Ahaz. He's right there. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Matthew chapter 1, verse 9. And so King Ahaz and the people of Judah, they were safe, okay? They were safe for now. 
Later on, the people of Judah would be exiled because of their lack of faith, but for now, the attacks of their enemies would fail. So this is the background of the whole prophecy. These two events, the earlier prophecy of the seed of the woman, we understand that now, an early prophecy of the virgin birth, and then this attack on Judah during the time of King Ahaz, which was really an attack on the line of Christ. So now we come to the actual content of the prophecy. We've said that this is the prophecy of a great sign. You know, after uh, Isaiah came to Ahaz and said, hey, the, your enemies are going to fail, God then told Ahaz to ask him for a sign. Now, that's very unusual, okay? You, you, usually, God doesn't say, you can ask me for a sign. But he comes to Ahaz says, ask me for a sign that these things are going to come true. And you know what? Ahaz refused. He refused. He said, I, I don't want to put the Lord to the test. And you know, he, he, he sounds real spiritual there, doesn't he? I don't want to put God to the test. But he was just making excuses. In fact, we find out later the real reason that he refused, he didn't ask God for signs, because he wasn't looking to God. He wasn't believing God. Uh, his faith was not in God at that time. He secretly on the side, instead of asking God to protect him, he wanted to go to the nation of Assyria. That was the big empire at that time, and make an alliance with them, have Assyria protect them instead. A decision that would eventually prove disastrous to the people of Judah. But we're here now in the third great prophecy of Christmas, the prophecy of this great and miraculous sign. Judah is being attacked. There's danger that the line of David would be wiped out, but now God promises a great sign, a great sign that will be fulfilled when the promised seed of David finally appears once and for all. Ahaz, remember, he refused to ask for a sign. And so Isaiah tells him this now in Isaiah 7, 14. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Okay, Ahaz says, nope, not going to ask God for a sign. Isaiah says, okay, God himself will give you a sign then. And here's the sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This is our third great prophecy of Christmas now, and you'll notice that it has three parts to it. First part, the virgin will be with child. Now, that's the miraculous part of the sign, right? It's impossible for a virgin to conceive and be with child. We know that, right? That's impossible. But you see, that's what makes this a sign. Because there would be nothing amazing about a non-virgin giving birth to a child. You can find that in any maternity ward across the country any day of the year. But a virgin conceiving a child, now that's a sign. That's an amazing sign. And then the second part of this prophecy, Isaiah says, she will give birth to a son. And this moves the emphasis now from the mother, from the virgin who will be with child, moves emphasis from the mother to the child himself. In other words, the sign is not simply that a virgin will conceive, but that she will give birth to a specific individual, and that that individual will be a son, not a daughter. He will be a male child, not a female. You go, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? Well, it goes back to the prophecy of the seed of the woman, where we were also told that a specific individual would come from the seed of the woman, 
and defeat the serpent, defeat Satan, and that that individual would be a man, right? God told Satan in Genesis 3.15, he said, he, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. She would give birth to a son. And then the third part of the sign is that they will call him Emmanuel. We've all heard the, the word Emmanuel. It's a word that means God with us. God is with us. And so this male child, born of a virgin, born of the seed of the woman, not of the man, this child would somehow, in some way, signal God's presence with us here on earth. We didn't know how yet, not in Isaiah's day. That's, that was coming. But somehow he would be God with us on earth. The promised seed of David would arrive just as God said, and the sign of his coming would be the virgin birth. So now we've looked at the background of the prophecy. We understand that a little bit better, the seed of the woman, the attack on Judah. We've looked at the content of the prophecy. The virgin will be the child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel. And now we come to, obviously, the best part, the fulfillment, the fulfillment of the prophecy. And the fulfillment of this prophecy, as with all of the prophecies we're looking at in this series, is found in the birth of Jesus, as recorded in the New Testament. And we find this fulfillment of this prophecy affirmed for us in several places in Scripture. One of the first places we find it is in the angel's announcement to Mary. The angel's announcement to Mary. The angel tells Mary this in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. The angel says, Mary, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And you say, okay, now that really sounds familiar. That's because we just looked at it. That's Isaiah 7, 14, isn't it? It's almost word for word exactly what Isaiah said. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son. And they will call him, that's the only difference here. You know, the angel said, uh, you'll give him the name Jesus. Isaiah said, he'll be called Emmanuel. But other than that, they follow the exact same pattern. Mary's a virgin. She will be with child. She will give birth to a son. She will give him a name. And so we find this fulfillment first. Where in the angel's announcement to Mary? Before she's even pregnant with Jesus. The next place we find it is in the angel's explanation to Joseph. And this is after Mary becomes pregnant with Jesus, and we read in Matthew 1.20, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. See, Joseph uh, was afraid that Mary had been with another man. But the angel assures him that what was conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's the fulfillment of the prophecy. So the angel's announcement to Mary, the angel's explanation to Joseph, and we find it in a third place now in the angel's instructions to the shepherds. And this one takes place after Jesus was born. So we find it before Jesus was born. We find it while Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And then we find it again after Jesus is born. The angel appeared to the shepherds out in the fields and told them, Luke chapter 2, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. In other words, he's the Messiah. It's happened. And this will be a sign to you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Notice what the angel calls the birth of Christ. The angel says, it's a sign. It's a sign. Now, the shepherds, they didn't know that Mary was a virgin. I mean, they go to Bethlehem, all they're going to see is a mother and child, right? But the angel knew. The angel knew what was happening here. The virgin was with child, and she gave birth to a baby boy, just as God had promised. The great sign that was prophesied seven centuries earlier had now come to pass, and the proof of it was this newborn baby wrapped in cloths, and lying in a manger. We've looked at the background of the prophecy. We've looked at the content of the prophecy. We've looked at the fulfillment of the prophecy. And finally, I want us to look at the significance of the prophecy. What is the significance of the virgin birth? In closing, let me share with you now briefly five reasons why the virgin birth is such a significant event in human history. Reason number one, Jesus' birth was a fulfillment of prophecy. That's what we've been talking about all morning long, right? We read in Matthew one twenty-two that all this, speaking of Jesus' birth, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. In other words, Jesus' birth did not take place in a, in a historical vacuum. His birth was prophesied centuries in advance and everything took place exactly as God had foretold. Why is the virgin birth so significant? First of all, because Jesus' birth was a fulfillment of prophecy. Secondly, Jesus' birth was a miracle of God. It was a miracle. That's what the angel told Joseph. We saw it already. Matthew 1.20 said to Joseph, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of people who say, well, I don't believe in the virgin birth. That's impossible. And I would say, no, that's the point, okay? That's the point. A miracle is supposed to be impossible, for us at least, right? But as the angel told Mary in Luke 137, nothing is impossible with God. That's the very definition of a miracle, right? A miracle is something only God can do. And Jesus' birth was a miracle of God. A third reason the virgin birth is so significant is because Jesus was born fully human and fully God. Jesus was fully human, fully God. That little baby born in Bethlehem, fully human, okay? You know, you could, you know, flesh, blood and bones, crying and kicking in the manger. Fully human, born of a woman, just like you and I are. And yet he was also fully God because God was his father and he was born of a virgin. Isaiah prophesied and Matthew confirmed they will call him Emmanuel, which remember we said means God with us. So his name was Jesus, right? He is also Emmanuel. Why? Because he is fully human, fully God. He is God with us. Fully God, fully human with us. Fourth reason the virgin birth is so significant is because Jesus was born without sin. Jesus was born without sin. The angel told Mary in Luke 1.35, she said, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. 
And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the child himself would be born holy and without sin. Later on in the New Testament, we read in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21, that God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, okay? God made Jesus, he who had no sin, made him to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus lived a perfect life without sin and then he offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for sin at the cross so that we could be saved and that we could receive God's righteousness through him. And then finally, the fifth reason the virgin birth is so significant is because Jesus was born to be our Savior. We read this in Matthew one twenty one. She will give birth to a son. The angel speaking to Joseph once again. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You know what the name Jesus means? It means God saves, or God is salvation. In other words, Jesus' very name foretold the work that he would do on the cross in dying for our sins. We read a very important verse in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, says this, For there is one God, okay, there's only one God, and one mediator between God and men. Only one God, only one mediator. Who? The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. Jesus was fully God, fully man. He's the mediator. He's fully God. He can communicate directly with God. He's fully man. He can identify directly with us. This is why Jesus needed to be fully God and fully man, only as God could he die for sins. But only as man could he die. And that's why Jesus has two names. He is also called Emmanuel, God with us. Because only as Emmanuel, God with us, could he also be Jesus, the Savior of the world. You know what? When you go right back to it, Larry King was right. The virgin birth of Jesus indeed defines history for each and every one of us. Jesus was born of a virgin, just as Isaiah prophesied. And that means that he is the promised seed of the woman who was prophesied back in Genesis 3. He is the promised seed of Abraham through whom all nations will be blessed. He is the promised ruler from the tribe of Judah. He is the promised king from the house of David. He is Emmanuel, God with us, He is God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, fully God, fully man, that he might die for our sins as the Savior of the world. Folks, it's Jesus and Jesus alone who is the fulfillment of this third great prophecy of Christmas. Amen? Let's pray.
Well, dear Lord, we thank you for this amazing prophecy foretold so many centuries before. Lord, once again, we worship you as the God of history. Lord, you are sovereign over all that has taken place in the past. You are sovereign over our current events today. Lord, the things that you have said will take place will take place. Why? Because you are God. And we thank you for this great prophecy of the virgin birth. We thank you for giving us this sign so that when the Messiah came, we would recognize him. And Lord Jesus, you came, born of a virgin. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. We worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.